Welcome to Cloud Spotting. Hello everyone. I am Sai Iyer and I have Alex Galbraith with me. So what have you up, been up to recently, Alex? Hey Sai, thanks very much. Uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been a busy what month since we last recorded the previous episode. Um, it's all about the multi-cloud for me at the moment. So oh, yeah. d- done some uh, some Azure certs and some AWS certs last year. And at the moment, it's uh, looking at uh, learning a lot more about Google, which is um, something that's, that's right. going to feature quite a bit, I think, for the next 12 months for us. Google's hitting the big peak. Now we're going to do a lot of things about Google. So listeners, I think you should stay tuned for Google coming in future. Yeah. What about you, Sai? What are you up to? Yeah, nothing much. I mean, pretty much mostly doing some uh, work around the new AWS technologies, talking a lot more about Azure and Azure for AWS professionals. But guys, a lot more about that later. I think today we're going to talk about security. And um, lately we've been having a lot of discussions around GDPR and its potential impacts. But let's not go focus on GDPR. I think we should look at security as a whole. Security is a very wide subject. And guess what we have here? We have our special guest, Danny O'Neill, to talk more about security. Danny, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, thanks, Sai. Um, I'm Danny O'Neill. I'm the uh, EMEA lead for Rackspace Managed Security, uh, based in our UK office. Uh, Rackspace Managed Security is a, a managed security service uh, provided by Rackspace. Um, I joined in September 2016, and, and prior to that, I'd spent my entire working life in the UK military. Um, my background is really in intelligence, security, and, and cyber operations. Ah, oh, fantastic. So what, what you're saying, Danny, is we can't talk about your past. <laughs> of course Let's talk can. about the future of security. The future. <laughs> Always look to the future, Alex. <laughs> um, so I, I think uh, one of the things that triggered this was um, there was a recent uh, blog article about phishing we published on the Rackspace blog. I think we're going to put the put the details in the show notes with a link to it. But it was quite an interesting article, and uh, I guess it picked my, uh, piqued my interest in the subject. Um, Danny, obviously from your broad experience historically, um, what what do you think uh, are the different kinds of phishing attacks that you typically see against organizations and kind of what form do they take? I think we'll just take a step back from that. And, you know, in the intro there, we mentioned GDPR uh, and, and the impact that's going to have on businesses and mm-hmm. how they're going to um, provide solutions to protect data and protect data subjects. Uh, one of the things that GDPR specifically calls out is the ability to notify of a breach uh, and the impact of that breach, which, which businesses need to consider how they're going to meet that requirement. And it's interesting because um, we talk a lot about advanced threats uh, and, and advanced attackers now um, being of a, a, a risk to businesses, but phishing and, and spear phishing really remain effective, uh, common, and quite devastating methods of, of attacking an organization, um, as we experienced last year with, with the WannaCry and, yeah. and not petty oh, yeah. attacks. Because um, an email really can be the easiest way to compromise a target. Um, it can bypass security technology that, that we put in place, such as an IDS, a WAF. Um, it, it can go around antivirus. Um, and act is really just spoof emails that, that seem to be from a trusted source, but you know they contain links to compromised websites, uh, which an unsuspecting individual will will be taken to, or or weaponized um, office documents or, or Adobe documents. Mm-hmm. And do you, do you typically find? I mean. Who who is it that usually ends up getting picked up on these? Because I'd I'd like to think as somebody who works in IT, I I, I generally will be able to yeah. 
spot something that looks a bit dubious. But I mean, I've had ones through, um, you know, in the not too distant past where I've actually had to go to our internal teams and say, well, I've received an email here and actually I'm not 100% sure. It seems to be they're, they're getting more and more advanced in Absolutely. terms of Absolutely. the I think, quality of it. I think talking more about it, Alex, it's we're seeing a lot more spear phishing where actual individuals are being targeted. So yeah. absolutely, to, to your point, Gani, how, how would you sort of pick something like this? I think, I think in terms of going back to your original point as to who can be targeted on this, it, it, theoretically, anyone. Uh, I mean, uh, phishing at the end of the day is a combination of, of social engineering and, and spoofing, uh, a means of disguising a, a computer resource um, to entice someone to, to go to it. Um, the, the attacker conducts its intelligence, uh, finds details about the individual or individuals or business that it wants to, to attack, um, and, and then it will you know, disguise links to get users to go to, to those, those uh, seemingly legitimate um, sites. And once on them, and they do their authentication, then their details get captured. Um, but yeah, you're right. The more advanced attackers, uh, they become more sophisticated. They do their homework, so to speak, and they look more and more legitimate. Um, and those are the ones that are hard to spot. So spear phishing, as, as you called out, a, a more targeted attack where they've got more information about an individual um, in a business. So you know their full name, their, their, their full job description or job title, their telephone numbers. Mm. So they can make it look more and more legitimate to someone and more difficult to spot. You can have uh, what we refer to as whaling, um, which is kind of advanced spear phishing, but that's going after, as the name would suggest, the big fish in a business. <laughs> so the CEO, the, the managing director, right. um, really targeting that C-level. Um, and then there's other types of phishing um, which, which aren't as, as, as well-known, um, but vishing, for example. Um, so, right. that, so that's kind vishing of... Vishing with a V. You know, vishing with a V. We, so right. we... <laughs> You know, we typically associate uh, phishing as being something um, that is, is, is done via email. It predominantly is. Um, but any form of electronic communication that doesn't have um, some kind of security or authentication in place can be targeted. So phishing is, is referred to um, when someone in, conducts similar activities over a voice channel. Right. Ah, okay. So oh, that, right. that phone call asking you to confirm your your, your banking details. Yeah, exactly. it's the kind of thing. Surely, it's almost the kind of thing Kevin Mitnick and Co have been doing since the since the eighties, almost. Isn't yeah, it? exactly. It's like a, well, a new version of an old an old trick. I think I, I, I use an analogy to it shows my age in in some way. But um, <laughs> you know, since communications have existed, people have looked to exploit them. Uh, people have looked to attack them, and we've always wanted to defend our own. So I like to say I've been doing cyber since before we called it cyber. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Absolutely. And just on the point around there, we talked about phishing. I mean, obviously, with the new media technologies, with new communications, what about social media? It seems to be a massive arena to target as well. Do you see any instances on that? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so, social media is is a risk. Um, it is a risk to businesses as well. Uh, and when we talk about mitigating um, phishing attacks or social engineering attacks, there is no real fix for it, certainly not a technology-based fix. Yes, there are things you can do to defeat it. You put your, your two-factor authentication in place. Mm-hmm. You have a robust password um, policy. Um, but still, to this day, the best form is training and, mm. and, and awareness amongst staff, not only to be able to spot it and, and be suspicious of something, um, but to be able to respond to it. So, you mentioned before, Alex, about being able to, to know where to go and who to yeah. tell when you spot something different. 
Um, yeah, we clearly have a process for that. So it was it was relatively easy for me yeah. to say, right, okay, I know the person I need to go to, but that might not yeah. necessarily always be the same, I suppose, especially no. in smaller and mid-market type organizations where um, you maybe only have your IT desktop guy or whatever. And it's, it's, it's the part of a security policy solution that, that often gets overlooked. You know, people get very focused on the technology and, and fixing it with technology, um, but they forget to implement basics like uh, policy. Um, and training so people know what to do um, but what, what I would say is that, you know, we mentioned social media and I think it's, it's absolutely key because in, in this day of a, a day of you know, bring your own device um, being able to access work from home mm-hmm. um, you know basic housekeeping like mm-hmm. not uploading um, work documents on, <laughs> yep. onto, oh, onto yeah. social media um, and don't leave it on the train or social networks <laughs> yeah, exactly indeed. yes and physical security is very important as well <laughs> And uh, rest- restrict the use of ad- ad- administrator accounts to the, to the bare minimum. That, you know, Indeed. Basic policies you would expect to see. Indeed. That makes sense. So I'm guessing we talked about sort of phishing as a method of attack. We talked about veiling and spear phishing, etc. I'm just trying to understand, in terms of the actual impact, what is it that this is targeted at? I mean, is it just to disrupt and get access? Do you see any instances of where they've gone higher than that? Yeah, so I I think we face a very different threat landscape um, today than we did even two, uh, certainly five years ago. Um, It's no longer the case where attackers are are firstly trying to and and secondly satisfied with um, causing disruption. Um, A lot of attackers now are targeted uh, they're focused. They're going after something specific. Um, so it's not the script kiddies anymore. No, no. Right. They're still there, but but we we face a more advanced threat that that wants to target data, wants to steal data that is of value to them or to someone else. Um, I think before I, I go into you know business impact, which I, I speak to a lot of businesses about, it's probably worth me just rattling off some statistics that I recently read. Ninety five percent of businesses. Uh, leaders or business leaders now acknowledge uh, cybersecurity as being very important. Um, yet, forty-five percent have no formal strategy. Um, this was a, a survey. <laughs> it's a, it's a bit of a yeah. <laughs> wow. Mm. Um, despite all the recent high-profile press coverage uh, we've had, thirty-three spend virtually nothing at all, um, and t- only twenty percent of staff received formal training. You know, we went about the importance of, of, of training down to the, the, the lowest level. Yep. Um, so that that tells me, and, and these were open source um, statistics, not not ones that uh, I I looked into. Um, despite growing and, and widespread awareness um, action isn't necessarily translating or words sorry aren't necessarily translating into into action mm-hmm. at, at the moment still and even with all these threats of you know that gdpr you mentioned at the start like yeah, there's some really significant threats on businesses in terms of what could yeah. it mean to to them in terms of fines and so forth and yet even with that it's still not enough to you know kind of like yeah. beat people into taking on a, a you know a serious uh, you know there's still, there's still in a lot of courses, um, very much a reactive um, stance. You know, right. Wait, wait until it happens, and and then fix it and do something mm-hmm. about it's it. It's like people who don't buy uh, contents insurance for their house <laughs> <laughs> until they get robbed, and they're like, "Ah, oh, I should probably have contents people, insurance." For people, my Alex, <laughs> <or> next time. <laughs> yeah. I'm very risk averse. I, I insure for everything. <laughs> you insure the insurer. Yeah. <laughs> now I've read. I've read. Uh, you're absolutely right. The the, the fines are. are, are it should be a deterrent, and I'm, I'm sure the GDPR, um, you know, the scale of those fines will will make businesses sit up and, and take notice. But you know, I've read various 
um, reports and sources indicating that the, the average theoretical estimate cost of a breach um, can cost $4 million. Uh, now, that, that's wow. the cost of the cleanup. Um, clearly, I would caveat that with the fact that it depends on the nature of the breach. It depends what's impacted. It depends on the size and scale of the business. So the, mm-hmm. there's lots of um, variables in there, but average theoretical estimate is, is $4 million. Um, what that doesn't take into account are those hidden costs you mentioned, you know, re- reputational damage to the brand. You know, why why yeah. should I do my online banking or use an e-commerce platform with a business that has been breached and demonstrated that it is not mm-hmm. secure and not going to look after my data? And reputational damage um, is, is, is a big one, I think. And I, I'd just like to step outside of cyber and, and, and the tech brand at the moment because um, we just have to look at what's happening um, in, the, in the charity and aid world at the moment now. Yep. That is a minute percentage of, of an organization um, that has done something bad. Um, Mm -hmm. 99.9% of of that organization and what it does, does good things in Mm -hmm. in some of the the most troubled parts of the world. Yet their reputation at the moment Mm -hmm. is is in absolute tatters. So it's Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And for a charity, that's a big, big hit. Mm. Exactly. Um, It's it's amazing though, like, I I, I completely see that. The the funny thing is, I'm always amazed by how, I guess maybe this is a reason why some organizations don't take it as seriously. Because when you have a breach from somebody like an Uber, you're talking in excess of you know millions of of credentials and so forth which have been um, exposed, and yet you know it doesn't stop people taking Ubers, no. and I think that's probably the attitude of a lot of people until yeah. it's actually happened to their business, and then all of a sudden, oh right, okay, yeah, now we're in absolutely, we're in yeah. and this we, you know we've we've mentioned that you know reputational damage, um, but it could be for example loss of IP. Yep. Um, or commercially sensitive information that could be useful to a competitor. Um, so that, that's what businesses have to think about. You know, like losing the the ingredients to Coca Cola or, <laughs> or the recipe to KFC. Iron Brew. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, it can it can impact things like mergers, um, and and then there are those those lawsuits um, and, and regulatory fines that we talk about. So, so the reality is that the, the cost of a breach we can we can estimate it at four million dollars, mm. but it, but it's open ended really. Yeah, so, absolutely. So in terms of that breach then, right? So let's say an attacker has actually made it into an environment. Um, I mean, I've heard of a number of different kind of models and so forth as to as to what those typical activities of the attacker are once they're in. Can you can you talk us through like what what's a you know? I know it sounds a bit of a weird thing to say, but what is an average attack? <laughs> no, and and when you're delivering a cybersecurity operation, it's important that you you have um, an attack framework to to work around, uh, especially if you're proactive like we are, because. Um, it's not just a case of sitting there relying on technology to tell you it, it's detected something that it thinks it's bad. Um, a more advanced attacker does not want to be detected. They, they want to look normal um, and they want to behave in a way that a device won't pick up. So you've got to be looking for that activity. So your intelligence will tell you how certain attackers behave and, and how they operate and, and what type of thing your analyst should be looking for. And, and the model we use is the attack life cycle. Um, and, and what you're doing is breaking down a potential attack into phases, uh, like phases right. of an operation, right. and identifying what types of activity could be conducted by a potential attacker during each phase, and and and, and trying to break that attack life cycle. Um, so, for so example, like the sooner you the sooner yeah. you manage to break it in the cycle, the less likely you are yeah. to get 
Well, just because something's got into the environment, if it's if it's one of these advanced attackers that are targeted and going after something specific, um, they don't want to be detected straight away. And by that, they, they will stay covert, they will stay low. Um, so the damage isn't done yet. So yeah, if you're actively looking for these these types of attacks, you have an enhanced chance of, of finding them before they get to what they want to get to. Mm-hmm. Then you can remove them from the environment before the damage is done. So mm-hmm. would you say things like um, honeypots, etc., actually help? Yeah, they, they they can do in in in, in certain um, aspects. But the, the way the way we would look at that this is okay. How the the first phase of an attack will be the reconnaissance. Any intruder to to any building, um, let alone a, a, an inv- a, an IT environment, needs to understand how it can get in. So it needs to conduct its intelligence and reconnaissance prior to getting into that environment. Um, you know, if, I, if I'm going to if I'm going to break into a premises, I'm going to sit outside. I'm going to watch when people come and go. I'm going to see which windows they leave open, mm-hmm. um, and and then I know what the best time of day and through which route to get into that premise is. And it's it's the same for cyber attackers. They will look as to where people let their guard down, what ports are left open. Um, so you might see unusual uh, use of a port scanner, for example. Could be normal activity, but it could be someone enumerating the network to to you know understand that network better, um, understand where the weak points are, understand how it can can exploit that that network. So that's that's reconnaissance activity that analysts will look for. The initial exploitation, this is where the attacker wants to get something into that environment. Um, we spoke today about phishing, still yeah. one of the most effective means of, of that initial exploit. Now I've got now I've got my hook. Now, now I'm on the environment. We would then probably see an attacker go into a command and control phase. Um, so they, they would just want to have a presence in the environment. Um, but this goes back to staying covert, so just beaconing in out. So you might see beaconing activity. Um, you may see use of a web shell, uh, which, which so sorry, beaconing activity. Access. What would that what would that typically look like, or um, what might that look like? Um, it, it it would just be activity where an attacker has something in the environment and and, and they are sending something to a known address, right? Uh, for okay. example, right. to to report that you know they they still have access. We still have access. We've, uh, we've got okay. we've got presence. It's like raising a little cheeky flag. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, the, towards the latter stages of an attack, and and this is where you you, you don't want to get to, but you, you, there is still you you will see privilege escalation. So so maybe excessive attempts to log into an administrator account right. um, as as they try to escalate privileges, give themselves more privileges so they can access what they want to get to, and then finally we would maybe see um, data being uh, prepared for exfiltration. So use of compression tools. And, and the likes as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, th- that's the model we use: reconnaissance, initial exploitation, command and control, um, privilege escalation, and then data exfiltration. And it's it's using your intelligence and your analyst experience to be able to identify activity that could be associated with an attack. It could be legitimate. Yeah. But verify it, investigate it, and then if it if it is suspicious, do something about it and respond to it. Mm-hmm. And and you sort of think the some kind of security desk should be able to use pretty much standard tools to go through each of these phases and sort of try and capture some information. Yeah, you, you, it, it's important that you use technology. This is not a manual process. Um, it's it's but it's expert analysts enabled by technology um, to query data to query data flows, to investigate alerts, um, investigate alarms. But I think what's important, and certainly our approach has been, um, don't become lost in the complexity of, of tooling. Uh, because bef- you know we've purposely kept our stack um, to a minimum to make us more effective 
um, as opposed to doing more mm. um, because yeah businesses can very very quickly become lost in that complexity and before they know it they, they have a expensive collection of flashing lights yeah. on the rack <laughs> well, what you mean more boxes doesn't <laughs> fix the problem exactly <laughs> well more expensive than the actual application that they would have looked. <laughs> yeah. yeah I did actually read a, a, some more stats for you um, the again open source that uh, it's believed that 80% of UK businesses have actually spent and invested more in security technology that they don't need because they, they, it's it's more than what their requirements are. So always you know focus on what the requirements are, then go and get the solution. Yeah, don't, that's, don't buy solutions and try and make your requirements fit it. That's definitely something that Perfect, we, yeah. we we live and breathe that one because mm-hmm. you know it's all about understanding your requirements up front before you then actually come out with a solution that's going to meet them. Yeah, absolutely. and that could be very very different depending on the size of your business and what kind of data you're holding and you yeah. know the impact your business of any form of a breach. Yeah. And, and don't forget, it's not all just technical. So you got to look at physical, you got to look at voice, etc. Yeah. Well, it's the PPT thing, isn't it? People process technology and, and you can throw technology at it all day long, but actually the people in the processes within your business is, are as important, if not more so. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you for that, Danny. I think it's a lot of information to have. Um, in terms of just talking about security, and we want to wrap up with sort of some information around uh, coming back to technology specifically, we talked about... Because we like to talk tech now. We, we like to talk tech, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like to think we're a tech podcast. Um, <laughs> but just talking about stuff, we talked about technology from a security perspective and tools and attack perspective. Um, quickly, let's let's have a quick chat about how does it matter on the infrastructure environment? So you've got things like cloud now, you've got traditional dedicated servers, you've got multiple cloud technologies. I mean, really, does it make a difference to ha- uh, that how security is applied across the technologies, or is it pretty much standard? No, I, th- I think th- the way we've had to approach this uh, um, is firstly to be able to apply our, our security solution on, on different cloud platforms, um, as well as our, our traditional dedicated environment here in, in Rackspace. Um, and what was important for us is that the service remained the service. You know, we, we didn't have different services for different um, platforms. So we did have to adapt some of our technology. Um, one, probably one of the, the biggest considerations when you're talking cloud providers is the ability ability to auto scale um, right because as you know if people are going to optimize um, the benefits of cloud agility um, speed flexibility and they're spinning instances up and down continuously then you need to make sure that you've got a deployment capability that can get the security tooling or agents in there as soon as it recognizes a, a new um, a, a new instance so that's that's one consideration um, I think one one thing with cloud is the the providers themselves have come up with some some really innovative and comprehensive security solutions, um, which which businesses can and absolutely should uh, leverage um, because they, they they are good, um, they are easy to um, to activate um, and, and relatively um, simple to to manage. But what businesses have to remember is that that security functionality is, is there really to provide security of the cloud. Um, what yeah, goes on in the cloud um, is still an end user, therefore a business's responsibility. So they still need a solution that is going to protect what they're doing with their data, um, what they're doing on their applications, mm. etc. Well, as opposed to protect just protecting the cloud infrastructure. Even Absolutely. something as simple as um, one of one of uh, one of my friends was talking about this recently, where he was talking about I think it was Susie Linux 
and uh, there was some form of a breach and a lot of people were going uh, kind of up in arms because a bunch of cloud servers got breached. But the reality of it was it, it was kind of irrelevant whether those servers were in the cloud or on a traditional infrastructure. The problem was actually down to not having been patched. Yeah. And so, exactly. you know, simple hygiene like that, yeah, yeah. patching your servers, it doesn't matter where they are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. But, and I think it's it, it's interesting because more, more and more enterprises are now um, going across the cloud or, or, you know, certainly hybrid solutions and multi-cloud whilst retaining some so, some old infrastructure. Mm -hmm. um, but there are still some concerns over security. Um, it, I, I don't think moving to cloud necessarily makes you more insecure. Um, like I said, there are different ways and, and, and methods and different considerations, mm -hmm. uh, but we, set, we, we face the same challenges. Um, right. it, it's just, you know, but what, what's important is the avoid the temptation to lift and shift your exi existing security solutions and structures and apply them to cloud because they won't necessarily work. As I yeah. mentioned auto scaling for us, you know, there are, there are different things you have to um, think about. So it, it's, it's, when a, a business makes a decision to move to cloud, their security solution needs to come across and be made cloud centric. Um, you, you, Absolutely. you can't just pull your, your existing um, yeah. features across. Absolutely. But you've got, no, you've got a lot less access as well for a start off. I yeah. mean, a typical tool might be something like an IDS. An IDS plugs into your network and basically looks at everything that's going on, but you have no access to that network anymore. So, you know, there's a, I guess it'd be a significant challenge even then. But do you find that means that cloud security tends to require, say, more agent-based security because you don't necessarily have that underlying infrastructure access? Um. I'm 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 not too sure to be honest. I I think because um, our our model is one that we, apart from the deployment methods, the deployment techniques, and and how we configure and, and set up, um, we're we're pretty much using the same same or similar agents, mm -hmm. um, just just adapted um, for for cloud. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, and let's not forget, um, there are products that cloud providers will give you that are not designed from a security perspective. So we, mm -hmm. we looked at recently, there were some articles about S3 being open public and oh, yeah. everybody accessing files. Well, it's actually not designed to be secure. As You need to configure mm -hmm. it to be private or public. And that's, yeah. that's to a point where you said you got to evaluate yeah. the products that you use uh, and, and the way you use it. And that, that's very similar to the, the Internet of Things. You know, it, it's designed for, for convenience. As, as opposed to being <laughs> secure, and, and why? You know, why would you set the security when, you know, for your for your fridge, convenient um, and <laughs> cheap as well? Because a lot of these IoT devices are are you know kind of um, cheap manufacturing to get the cost of that device down, and that means that maybe those manufacturers don't necessarily always uh, take the same level of precaution as Absolutely. as an enterprise might. <clears throat> I think yeah. regardless of the IoT device, you have to sort of think about the other layers behind the IoT devices, your Wi-Fi networks, your wireless yeah. routers, etc. They all have to be absolutely secure. Otherwise, you end up with uh, something like the Dynatac, don't you? Absolutely. You just don't want to create a DDoS based with IoT devices. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, I think we've had a really good chat. Uh, Alex, do you have anything else you want to talk about? No, I think that's been awesome. I, I find it always fascinating to, uh, to understand the methods of attack because I think the more the more knowledge we all have, um, the easier it is for us to you know defend against it. Really, absolutely. And Danny, you were awesome. I think the information you gave us <laughs> really good, and I hope everybody found it as useful as I did. So uh, I think it's a good idea to wrap this up. 
Sounds good. Um, just just before we finish up, I think we, we've talked about GDPR and security. Danny, I think you recently did a webinar, did you not? Yeah, we recorded a webinar last week, um, just, just really outlining how we've been assisting uh, the businesses we speak to in in meeting some of their GDPR obligations. You know, we took a very pragmatic approach to this. Um, it, you know, GDPR won't be fixed by any one entity or any one piece of technology. So we, we demonstrate how we can assist customers um, to meet some of their obligations and, and help them towards that. Uh, we were joined by one of our, our, our uh, Rackspace Managed Security customers um, as, as well. And yeah, it was, it was a very informative discussion on you know GDPR, what we're doing uh, and how they... Um, went along their GDPR journey by using some of the security solutions offered by Rackspace Managed Security. Brilliant. So I think uh, people can find that at go.rackspace.com slash GDPR webinar, I think, which is almost a rhyme. Um, <laughs> so um, as for the next episode of the Cloud Spotting podcast, we'll be talking about encryption. So following on, the, <laughs> following on the security theme. Um, so don't forget to subscribe or uh, you might miss it. Absolutely, and just to also add to it, we are going to work on we are working on a webinar that is due to be out next month. Uh, it is covering uh, DevOps, and it's with our super uber guru Iskander, who is uh, you got to watch it. It, it. He's amazing. Excellent. I think uh, let's call it off. Uh, give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Uh, the contact details will be in the show notes. And uh, yeah, let us know what do you think about this episode. Let us know what do you think about security and what do you face in your workplace. Uh, let us know what we should talk about in the future episodes. And uh, a big thank you to Danny. Thanks, Danny. No problem. Thanks, everybody. Cheers.